grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This passage doesn't say what we think it says. This famous passage from St. Paul in Ephesians, putting on the full armor of God, it doesn't say what I think we often assume that it says. And what do we usually assume? We assume that what Paul gives here is a, a kind of pep talk, a speech for the troops before we go out and storm the gates of hell. That this is Paul saying, all right, engage in battle. Go out and find the enemy and fight him. Bring him down. But that is not what Paul says here. He says something a little bit different. And to understand what it is that he is trying to express to us, we need to go back to the source of his metaphor and analogy that he uses here, the Roman legion, okay, the Roman army. Now, you need to understand that in the Roman army of Paul's day, they were, there were principally two kinds of troops. There were two kinds of troops. The one kind of troop was the, the battle-tested, battle-ready troops. These were the glamorous soldiers. These were the guys that were getting out there to fight. These were the ones that got all the cheerleaders, right? The really cool guys. Everybody wants to be like them because they're the infantry. They're the ones who are out there storming, looking for a battle. And then there were the other troops. And these guys were not the fighters. They were the watchers. And what were the watchers' job? The watchers' job was to stand firm at the gates at the borders, often in the, the far-flung places of the empire, and their job was not to move, but to stay at their post, come what may. And yes, if the enemy came to them, they would engage them in battle, but even then, it was their calling, it was their job not to leave, but simply to watch and to stand firm. Now, having described those two kinds of troops, you can see which one Paul has in mind as he speaks to the people of God, as he calls the church to do what? To stand. He's calling us not to be those battle-ready troops, the ones who are going out looking for a fight, the way that I think we often assume that Paul is talking here. Rather, he's calling us to be those watchers, that our job is principally not offensive, but defensive. And that's underscored by the armor that he talks about us having. And you may have noticed this, that of the, the six pieces of armor that he describes, which were the standard issue set of armor given to, to uh, Roman troops, five out of those six are just defensive, aren't they? Shield, breastplate, belt, shoes, helmet. The only one that's not is a sword. And it may be the case that the makaira, which is the Greek word for the sword here, that Paul has in view, is not a great big sword, but it might even just be a dagger, the kind of thing that you would use for kind of self-defense as a, a last resort. In any event, it's very clear, both from the armor that Paul describes and from the, the ultimate exhortation that he gives to stand firm, that he is calling us to be these sort of watching troops. That our job is not to go out looking for a fight. The fight comes to us. But instead, as Christians, as the body of believers, to stand united together, faithfully standing watch. That's our calling, see.
And as he sets out what this kind of spiritual battle looks like as we are standing watch together, it's important for us to understand the right enemy, the right place, and the right armor for this battle. The right enemy, and the right place, and the right armor for this battle as we stand watch together. First of all, Paul says, we need to understand the right enemy, the right enemy. And to get at this, think about an analogy. In 1758, it's during the French and Indian War, and there's a valiant general, a guy you might know by the name of George Washington. And he's leading his troops out to battle on a very foggy day. And as he's going out, he's got the troops, and it seems like they are outmanned and outnumbered, and suddenly they can hear the hoofs coming, and here come, here come some troops who are, are coming at him looking for a fight. And so General Washington leads his, his uh, battlement to go out, and they are going to, to go out, and they cut down, and they go through the, this uh, firefight among all the other troops. And when the dust settles and when the fog clears, they see that they have valiantly fought, and they have taken down 13 of those troops. There's only one problem. They realize then that they were fighting the same side that it wasn't the enemy that was coming to them, but it was the cavalry coming to try and help. But in the midst of the fog, General George Washington couldn't tell the difference and engaged in friendly fire. To me, this is suggestive for us as Christians when we identify the wrong enemy. In the fog of spiritual battle, I think that there's a temptation for us to think that our enemy is other people. Whether those other people be folks across the political divide. Whether those other people be folks from other nations or other cultures, other religions. Whether those enemies just be people who happen to like things differently or even who root for a different college football team. <laughs> Whatever it might be, in the fog of spiritual battle, it's easy for us to identify as the enemy other people which is just what Satan wants us to do. Because as Paul sets it out there, Satan is the one who is pulling the strings behind all of these, these uh, fights and all of the, the different battles and sources of division that we have in our world today. He says, our enemy is not flesh and blood. We are bamboozled by the evil one when we think that our real battle, our real struggle is against other human beings, against other people. But no, he says, our real battle, our real enemy is the evil one and all of his minions. It's the powers and principalities in this present darkness behind all of our worldly enemies. And I don't mean to ignore the fact that there are human beings who persecute Christians, that there are real sources of, of enmity within the world. But that ultimately, our ultimate enemy is not other people. It's not other languages, tribes, and nations. Our real enemy is a spiritual one in the heavenly places, as Paul puts it. We need to recognize that so that we don't end up engaging in the kind of friendly fire in that fog of spiritual war. And so instead of wielding worldly weapons, recognizing that our real enemy is a spiritual one, our weapon, our principal weapon, is prayer. 
That's why Paul, Paul talks about it here. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Praying even and perhaps especially for our enemies, as Jesus says. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. And why do we do that? Because we recognize that the line between good and evil, as the great philosopher Alexander Solzhenitsyn put it, it is not divided between bad people and good people. The line between good and evil cuts between every human heart, see. And every single one of us are enemies of God, apart from the reconciliation won in Christ Jesus through his atonement. And so when we look out at the world and all of the struggles, all of the divisions, all of the fighting, we ought to see behind it Satan pulling the strings and praying for God to bring the peace that he alone can bring in our fraught world. So thinking about our calling within the spiritual battle that we have, this is the first thing we need to recognize, that the right enemy is not fellow human beings. The right enemy is the evil one. Secondly, Paul wants us to recognize the right place for the battle. The right place for the battle. There's this famous comic that was drawn, I don't know, a number of years ago now, probably a decade or so ago, and I don't even remember who the, the illustrator of it was, but within this comic, you see a man, a stick figure, and he's sitting at his computer. You can tell he's feverishly typing on the keyboard, and he's got the, the angry eyebrows. And his wife comes in from the other room and says, hey, are you coming to bed? He says, no, I can't come to bed right now. And she, and she says, well, well, why not? And he says, because there is something wrong on the internet. <laughs> I think that's where a lot of us tend to think the battle is taking place on the internet, on Facebook or Twitter, and something is wrong out there, and we need to correct those people who are wrong. Friends, you don't need me to tell you, that is not the right place for the battle. Within our normal day-to-day, -day, sometimes humdrum lives, I think it's natural for us to go out like Harry Potter looking for a fight, right? Looking for some adventure out there, even if it's just on social media, because it's hardwired within us to want to be part of a battle. That's appropriate. That's right. But God is telling us the place to engage in battle, your post, is right where he has placed you. It's in your vocations. It's within your family. It's within your neighborhood. Those are the places where the, the evil one is bringing the fight to you and me. You don't need to go searching for it. He brings it to you. That's where we want to be spiritually aware. And think again about the, the calling of those watching soldiers, right? The last thing that they could do by penalty of death was to leave their post. God has called you and me to stand fast in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our church, in our workplaces, in all these posts where he has placed us, that's where we are called to engage the enemy when he comes. That's where we are called to stand fast together. And to me, I think there is real grace in that message. Because look, I don't know about you, but when I'm following the news, God help me, when I am on social media and when it seems like the world is just spinning out of control, it can be overwhelming, can't it? 
to think, well, how are we going to fix all of this evil in the world? How are we going to put back all of those things that are broken? Listen, you and I can't do that, and you are not called to do that. We are not responsible for all of the world's ills, praise the Lord. We are responsible for the little corner of creation, the little patch of the world where God has put you, the people he places in your path, the relationships and the lives that are under your care. That's where he has placed you, and that's where we need to be in prayer, vigilant, in watchfulness, recognizing that as the Lord's soldiers, as those who take up his armor, that's the place where he has called us to engage in battle. So we see that our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not fellow human beings, but it is the evil one. And that the place where God has called us to engage the evil one is not out in the world and trying to fix all of the world's evils and ills, but instead right in our vocations, right in the post that he has placed us. And then thirdly, it's with the armor that he gives. With the armor that he gives. And here I think about the great movie Jurassic Park. You remember Jurassic Park? Oh man, I was a 10-year-old kid when Jurassic Park came out. So this is ever and always going to be one of my favorite movies of all time. And there's a scene in the, in the movie, you can't forget it, when the T-Rex comes out. <clears throat> and there's uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum. And he sees the T-Rex bearing down. And Ian Malcolm, he gets this brilliant idea. He has seen Dr. Grant. I forget who the actor is who plays Dr. Grant. But he's the wise paleontologist. And he knows what he needs to do. Dr. Grant realizes, okay, we, because the T-Rex is going to follow the light of the flare, he slowly waves it back and forth and then throws it. And the T-Rex, like a dog chasing his bone, goes running after it. Well, Ian Malcolm thinks, oh... Well, I can think of an even better way to do this when the T-Rex comes back a little bit later. He grabs that flare and he starts yelling at the T-Rex, hey, hey, come over here, come over here. And he starts running after him. And even after he throws the flare, lo and behold, the T-Rex keeps chasing after him. Now, other than wanting to indulge in that uh, bit of my 90s uh, nostalgia, why do I bring this up? Because I think that as Christians, we can fall into the trap of being like Ian Malcolm and thinking that our ways are wiser than the Lord's. That we've got our own armor through our smarts, through our ideas, through our spiritual wiles to be able to stand against the evil one. Listen to me, friends. He is called the devil, and he is called the prince of the power of the air for a reason. There's that line in A Mighty Fortress, we'll sing it in a moment, where it says, on earth is not his equal, and sometimes we get to that line and we sing it out lustily. On earth is not his equal. Who are you singing about in that line? Not God, not Jesus. You're singing about the devil. On earth, there is not a human being who is his equal. And if you and I, Ian Malcolm style, think we can go up against that Tyrannosaurus Rex, that awful prince of the power of the air, and outsmart him, outwit him, we're kidding ourselves and we will soon be devoured. Instead, we have something better, the divine panoply, the full armor of God, the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish all those flaming arrows of the evil one, all of those accusations that he levels against you and me. We cannot quiet the, the call of conscience, but only faith 
which trusts in Christ Jesus, is able to extinguish those flaming arrows. You have that helmet of salvation. That's what protects us, that Christ Jesus already has the victory and has given it to you and me. For the shoes on your feet, you have the gospel of peace, the good news, so that now we are able to say, like the prophet Isaiah, how beautiful are your feet. Not because your feet are so well manicured, see, or pedicured as the case may be, but because they are covered with that gospel of peace. Again, you have the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. You have the belt of his truth. And you have that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This armor and this armor alone is what enables you and me to stand fast and to stand firm when we encounter the evil one. But I think we can go even further. Because Paul says, put on the full armor of God. And when he puts it that way, it has echoes and reminiscences of what he says elsewhere, which is, put on Christ Jesus. I would submit to you that to put on the armor of God is nothing less than to put on Jesus himself. Jesus, who is the word of God. Jesus, who is the truth. Jesus, whose name means the Lord's salvation. To put on the armor of God is to be cloaked in the armor of Christ himself, in which you were clothed when you were baptized. That's why Martin Luther, when he would find himself being assaulted by the evil one, what he loved to say, what he, he cried out against that diabolical tempter, he would say, I'm baptized! baptized because to remember your baptismal identity is to remember that you are clothed in the chain mail of Christ himself listen when we engage in this spiritual battle we are not called to go out and fight the enemy to pick a battle with him but instead to stand watch to stand watch united together and I'll leave you with this image, changing the metaphor a little bit. And those of you who were able to join us for my lectures over at camp a couple of weeks ago, this will be familiar to you. But I want to change the metaphor to trees. And, you know, my first call was out into Northern California. And one of the things Northern California is known for is for the giant trees they have out there, the redwoods. And maybe some of you have, have seen these before. These towering organisms, some of the largest on the face of the earth, hundreds and hundreds of feet high. But I was shocked to learn, visiting the redwood John Muir National Park, that the roots of those redwoods are very shallow. They're actually only 10 or 12 feet deep. Can you imagine that? These ginormous things, how could their roots be so deep? You'd think they would have to be hundreds and hundreds of, of feet down in order to stand fast. But you know how it is that the redwoods are able to stand for centuries, those giant creatures of God? It's because they are rooted together. Their roots are intertwined with one another. That's where their strength comes from. And I think about that for us as the body of Christ engaging in that spiritual warfare. We are able to stand fast and stand watch because we do so together. And isn't that funny? We used to do that as kids. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and what? See all the people. See all the people rooted together, 
standing watch, united as the body of Christ, not having that power within ourselves, but given to us in Christ Jesus. By His grace and the power of His Holy Spirit working within us, we will stand firm and stand watch together. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.